0: That's so fascinating to me to see that that's perhaps happening within within the healthcare scene too, and I can imagine within the NHS once again that's happening too. If you have network effects occurring or a use case that's created in one hospital, that's mirrored, and that just creates the biggest competitive moat that I can think of. It really um, is is interesting to see. Tell me then, because I can't imagine that many people in the in the healthcare scene can code um, very well, uh, perhaps on on the job or something. I can't imagine that a nurse is, is Specialized in yeah, coding. What's the what's the importance of a, a low code no code product? And you mentioned um, on the podcast yesterday something that stood out to me, which was the fact that uh, you work a lot a lot with I believe it was Excel. Tell me the importance of a low code no code product and how once again that can deliver value and really provide utility for the healthcare scene.
1: So so when you're working in healthcare, one of the things is that your your basic training is always going to be around actual healthcare right you're not going to learn how to code and everything else there are people in the organization like myself who are starting to kind of say well i want to i want to help in, you know create a product around all the fundamental knowledge that i've gathered over the last 10 20 years so there are people trying to learn but it's not it's not nearly the level that's needed to like disrupt the entire market so i think number 1 is you need to have end users who are trying to improve things, right? They're always trying to make things better, but you want to give them an environment where they don't need an entire year or two worth of schooling to, to, you know, realize their product. So right now, let's say, let's say you were a nurse, right? And you're, you're on the floor for the last 20 years, you've been working. And one of the things that you've seen, there's been inefficiencies on a certain way of doing things right now. You, you want to go up to your, to your, um, your head nurse or your director and say hey listen i think we can do this in a better way right but i i need so the person's going to say to you well what's your what's your data what's your breakdown like you can't just give me an anecdotal evidence and say hey you know we need to make operational changes because you think that you need them so one of the things that you need to do is you need to prove your case right and the way that you do that is by being able to present data right that's out there in the world right in the EMR that already exists but make it in a way that's structured and then create a plan once you create a plan you can say hey look this is the data that shows that this pro the plan that i'm trying to adopt right will work okay no problem that becomes your baseline right you adopt the plan and as things improve you use that and you you relay that back to that same person and say look this is where we were Two weeks ago this is where we are today because now you have a comparison right the old data versus the new data and you can see that there were efficiencies that were brought by by um by changing processes around so that's where the low code no code environment really comes in because gathering that data is really hard especially in an environment like an emr like that was one of the biggest challenges that i had when i was in my managerial role where i wanted to make changes but no one would support me because I didn't have the data to back it up. Well, eventually, I was able to get access to a data warehouse. But the data warehouse, if you've ever seen, seen what it looks like, it's just a jumble of data. Like, you really have to piece things together. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I had experience in Excel. So I was able to kind of break things down, make it much more manageable and much more visually appealing. So that when I went to my uh, my leadership to say, hey, this is the change I would like to make. And they said to me, well, where's your where's your data? Here it is. And I was able to make all the changes that I needed to, right? Without any secondary questions. And then once those efficiencies were gained, I was able to, in two weeks and to a month, I was able to do a presentation and say, this is where we were, and this is where we are now. And that's where people were like, this guy's an innovative thinker. We need him on, on, our, on, on other projects. And it just boosted up my career, right? And it's the same thing. So now, people are starting to unlock the value of all the data that they collect and healthcare, we collect so much data. So it's all about right now, getting it, getting access to tools like this into the end user's hands. There was one really interesting interview that um, Palantir had, had kind of published on, um, on their uh, website. And it was around a a young girl, a German um, engineer in the aerospace for Airbus. Right. And she worked in, in, um, in a very like technical role, but um, she had gotten hurt somehow and she wasn't able to really fulfill that role. So they gave her the task of working on Foundry to see if there's any way that she can bring some efficiencies. I don't know if you saw that, but actually. that was, huh? I'll send it to you. It's yeah. amazing. And within a very short period of time, she was able to build products that were actually used wow. by people in Airbus to actually bring about efficiencies in manufacturing. But that's because she had that technical experience that the ones that you needed in order to build a product. And now you're able to kind of take and, and mass adopt it across an organization. So it's a very interesting way, like getting getting people on the ground access to tools that are going to make them efficient, right? But also give them an ability to kind of improve their own um, careers. It's gonna be big for, um, for adoption purposes, you know? Right. And that's the that's the other part of Foundry coming down to the ground level, because we also want a a way to get certified in this, because if you are good, you can create products on top of Foundry. There are other organizations that are going to want you to work for them. So having that badge or Foundry on your resume is going to be a, a game changer, you know. So I'm sure that you've come across um, resumes where you've seen like experience with certain products and you're like, yeah, I need to hire this guy because this is a product that we use also or this is a product that we're trying to use.
0: That is fascinating. And they did launch the certification program um, that I haven't mm-hmm. gone into much detail about. I'd love you to send me that that, that that video about the girl. I haven't actually seen that beforehand. It's amazing. I think your experience within the healthcare scene already has bring, brought so much value to this podcast. It's amazing how um, you can just democratize data and, um, as you said, boost careers through enabling applications being built on Foundry, um, efficiencies being created. I can't even begin to comprehend how important that would be um, in every industry. Last question on on specifically the healthcare scene. Tell me about a digital twin, the ability to simulate and, um, and, and test different scenarios from data. Very interesting. This is incredibly interesting to me. And I think, once again, brings, brings productivity improvements and relates back to Palantir's time-to-value proposition. So in the context of, of healthcare, how important is a digital twin for your organization to simulate and to predict um, different uh, events that may occur? For example, in the, in the context of COVID, I can imagine it was incredibly important for the NHS.
1: So I would say this is probably the most important part of the... The new things that are happening. So an example is, you have these desperate, uh, disparate sources of data, right? You have radiology data. You have um, data with, within the patient information um, where there's certain allergies. You have prior medication data. You have surgical notes from a surgery that was done five years ago. You've got, you know, um, I don't know. You've got demographic information. Now, here's the thing. Each one individually tells you a very small part of a larger picture, right? But when you combine all of that data together, you can create a digital twin, right? So basically now you have an entire outlay of what this person is. Now, here's the best part of a digital twin. You can test on the digital twin. So you can say, what if I gave this patient this medication? Well, guess what? The digital twin... At the same time, if they reject it because guess what, there was a prior allergy that was recorded fifteen years ago. Guess what happens? You won't give them that that medication, right? You, you let's say the patient um, had some sort of uh, some sort of um, heart issue, right? Five years ago, six years ago, and they came in this year with some chest pains. Guess what? That digital twin will be able to identify, like, hey progressively this person's heart isn't having an issue. Maybe we need to get this type of scan. The other thing is there's secondary diagnostics um, that, that happened with this patient that may not have been necessarily recognized by a physician when they, when they initially took care of the patient. So an example is, let's say you had a headache, you went to your, your GP and your GP, you know, marked it down. This person has his recurrent headaches, um, but it only happens during the summertime, right? You know, you could be having a heat stroke. So the guy mm. said, "No, you know what? Just go home, relax. You're fine. You don't really, you know, you don't have anything going on. You just need to stay away from the sun." Well, what if it's something that happened in your past, where during during times during the summer you tend to do other things, right? Or you're more high likely to get um, you ingest food around that time that may or may not be, you know, causing you to have this underlying issue. All those things are recorded in all sorts of data when you go to the healthcare, when you go to your healthcare provider, but they're located in all sorts of areas. So when you do get a CAT scan eventually, and they see like, wait a second, no, this, this thing, even though it was five years ago, he was only having minor headaches. Now he's coming back with bigger headaches. I can see that there was a small nodule in his brain somewhere that's growing. We better look at that and see if there's something that we can do to surgically remove it. Right. Or what are the percentages that Christian will be able to survive the surgery? And instead, we should just do chemotherapy and observe it, right? So it gives you an idea and a percentage chance of. <coughs> oh, sorry, okay. should probably get that cough checked out. <laughs> um, of what um, what likely could happen to you five years, six years, ten years in the future? The other thing is with a lot of great data, like let's say progressively you at the age of 20, you at the age of 25, you at the age of 30, if you see that weight gain, if you see cholesterol start to build up, what you can do is as your GP speak to you and say, hey, Christian, look, the one thing I've noticed is that when you were 20, this is where you were baseline. And at 30, this is where you were. Maybe you need to stop eating so much bacon because your cholesterol is starting to shoot up. So instead of you know, reacting after you already had a stroke or a heart attack, the doctors are, you know, progressively, well, um, telling you uh, preventatively how to change your lifestyle around so you won't have as much. The other thing is it can even probably if you have enough of an accurate model, you can kind of predict when you're going to have serious issues in the future, if you continue on your current course, and whether or not it would be a good idea to kind of like do a procedure um, early in your life when you're still able to recover from it, rather than waiting until something something happens in the future, right? So an example of that is breast cancer, where right now in the past, you know, people would get get tested for, uh, they would get their mammograms and everything done. Well, one of the things they have now is genetic testing. And genetic testing, if you have something called the BRCA1 gene, you have a high uh, disposition for getting breast cancer. So sometimes women, instead of waiting until they get breast cancer, in which case it's already too late and it's metastasized all over, they'll, pro- you know, they'll get the procedure done beforehand after, you know. So this way, the chan- the, the, the likelihood of them getting breast cancer is none because they've, they've already had a mastectomy and they've had it in an early part of their life which means they can fully recover from it you know that if they were in their in their maybe 40 uh, their late 50s they may not be able to recover as as well